Hey, welcome to another episode of Write You a Song. I'm Tom Maley, and this is the podcast for lyric lovers featuring the people who wrote them. If you're new to the podcast, go back through the archives and check out some of our past interviews with writers like Brett Warren, Lee Thomas Miller, Liz Rose, Chris Jansen, Shane McAnally, Brett James. There are 18 in all with the biggest names in country music songwriting. Now, this month's guest is a bit of a departure from those writers. His name is Drew Kennedy, and first off, he is an amazing writer, but unless you're familiar with the Texas country music scene, you probably probably never heard of him, but that's okay, because every once in a while, I want to use this podcast to introduce writers and singers who haven't necessarily had huge commercial recognition, because that's not the only barometer to songwriting success. Drew's songwriting is highly descriptive, beautifully visual, often set against backdrops of travel or loneliness. He says he likes his songs to be like small paintings, moments in time captured on paper and put to music. Now, that said, Drew does have a Nashville publishing deal now, and he's currently trying to parlay the writing he's perfected over the course of eight albums into a more commercial path. I thought it'd be cool and different to feature a writer who's making great music outside the mainstream and give you a look inside his world and what drives him and to learn after going it on his own for so long, what it's like to be now knocking on Nashville's door. Drew Kennedy, thanks for joining us on Write You a Song. Well, hey, Tom, happy to do it. Uh, you and I have crossed paths uh, before. Last several years, there's a golf tournament here in Sacramento that you perform at, and that's kind of where right. I, I got to know you. And you're going to be back this year, too. It's called Golf Guitars, by the way. Anybody that uh, is listening that might want to come out, we bring in country artists and songwriters uh, for a weekend of golf at a place called Hagen Oaks. You can find out more on our website, kncifm.com. And you're a great guy. You're a fun dude to talk to. And I want to pick your brain a little bit. Most of the podcasts that, that we've done, in fact, all of them, have been with more or less mainstream Nashville country songwriters. And you are not that. You're not that. I am not that. So for 15 years, I have been kind of doing the troubadour thing touring around mostly the Southwest, but the country in general, and making my own records and releasing them and doing that. Yeah, and, and you are kind of making inroads into uh, maybe being, becoming uh, more a part of the, of the Nashville music scene, but being a, a Texas singer-songwriter, I kind of wanted to just take this podcast and focus on sort of there are a lot of great songwriters, and not all of them are necessarily, quote-unquote, you know, commercially successful. Um, yeah. You are successful in what I, I guess I would consider like a... Uh, how do I even put this? You have a following. You've got a career. It's doing really well. Uh, mainstream country fans may not know who you are. Hopefully after this, they go and listen to, to some of your music. It's different. Talk about the, the genre of music that you're in and, and the type of music that you do and the type of touring that you do. Sure. Well, um, if, if we're going to look at it as the Texas music scene, it is definitely something that cares a little less about um, being the flavor of the month, for lack of a better word. I mean, you're looking at people that aren't necessarily chasing um, what the mainstream would be considered, would, would consider cool. Uh, there's a little bit more of a drive towards authenticity. Um, there's a little more storytelling. Like, if you listen to mainstream country, there, there's... N kind of a lack of those story songs that were such a part of country music for decades and decades. You know, if, if you wrote El Paso uh, today, I don't know that you'd have a home for it. 
mm-hmm. like there was a home with Marty Robbins, you know, writing and recording it when he did. So the story song has kind of disappeared from mainstream radio, but um, in Texas, it's very much alive and well. And um, there's a ton of radio stations in the state that kind of play nothing but homegrown music. Uh, at last count, I think there was 85 of them in in Texas and Oklahoma and in Colorado that kind of play this homegrown Texas music. And that's, um, that's kind of the, the thing that the scene revolves around. There's a ton of, uh, live venues that kind of cater to just that. And it's kind of its own little microcosm of the larger music business as a whole. Yeah. And, and every once in a while, an artist will, will from that, uh, arena will, Move over and and get some country radio airplay. Jack Ingram, I right. think, is probably the most uh, high profile. But Pat Green, Jack Jack Ingram, Pat Green. Right now, you've got Cody Johnson, you've mm-hmm. got um, Randall King. Those are both Texas guys that um, that have signed Nash- with Nashville record labels. But why so. why is there a, a, a there's almost like a parallel universe to Nashville in Texas, and mm-hmm. and Texas seems very okay with that i mean it, it it really is you guys are you do your own thing and you do it proudly that's right i mean when you're writing in nashville you're writing for a very specific target um you're you're staying aware of what's current what's currently being played on the radio um you're paying attention to what those topics are um and the way things are phrased you're listening musically how things are put together um you know, you think about the big choruses of country music, and uh, in Texas, there is not um, there is not a thing that we chase like that. It is very much do your own thing, be your own artist. If you happen to write um, kind of poppier sounding music, melodies, and chorus, that's great. But if you're a cowboy singer, that's great too. I mean, there there's just not. The, the intention is not to serve a specific audience. The intention is to find an audience through being authentic, through being yourself. And uh, there are way many yeses that you get in Texas than you ever would in Nashville trying to do that. There's a lot more, no, we don't do it like that in Nashville. And that's why uh, there's a ton of room in Texas for people who are just kind of chasing their own um, inspiration and finding their own voice and very much being being themselves and some of uh, personally some of my favorite singer songwriters i think well are i guess more they're americana but I, mm-hmm. I, uh john prine robert earl king james mcmurtry um people who just i mean when they write it's it's literary yes and two of those three are texas guys you know mcmurtry's family is all from south of wichita falls texas a little town called Archer City, and Robert is a Texas guy. And um, Americana has definitely become kind of a catch-all for anything that's kind of country that has a little bit of of a, of a relation to what we think of, of music when we think of Nashville. Um, but it's really become kind of the catch-all genre for for the storytellers, um, for lack of a better word. And that's the kind of stuff that resonates with me. Like that's the stuff that that awoke the songwriter in me listening to Robert O'Keen records and Walt Wilkins records when I was in college. Um, and it's that revelatory moment where you think, how can these people be this good 
and not be on the mainstream. And that's when you start realizing how music works as a business, how um, how record labels function, how songwriters work, and that there's a there's a place for everyone. And if you're not if you're not dead set on becoming a big star, if you're not interested necessarily in chasing the fame, but you are definitely inspired to share your music with people, that's usually where you end up. If if the uh, if the bright lights and the you know the flashy suits of Nashville um, doesn't line up with who you are as a writer or as an artist. When you talk about stories, I mean, I wonder why some of these people uh, aren't short story writers because their their songs are short story. James McMurtry is a, a perfect example. I think one of the greatest things I've ever heard is uh, his song Level Land, which is a, yeah. about a small town. And I mean, I, I get chill bumps just mentioning that, that song title because, I, it, because not only does it, I mean, just paint such a vivid picture of a, of, of a place in Texas and kind of a mindset there, and uh, but but the melody is is also absolutely in, in, incredible, and it's just it's a whole other kind of level, and I I, I don't ironically level and level, um, but but it, it, there's there's an uncompromisingness to it, like you know I get you, you couldn't hear it necessarily being commercially successful. It's man, it's true. Uh, like, I mean, just those the first lyrics of that song, Flatter Than a Tabletop, makes you wonder why they'd stop here. Wagon must have lost a wheel or they lacked ambition, ambition one. one. God, I love that. I mean, that come one. on. <laughs> Flatter than a tabletop Makes you wonder why they stopped here Wagon must have lost a wheel or they lacked ambition one In the great migration west Separated from the rest Though they might have tried their best They never caught the sun So they sunk some roots down in this dirt To keep from blowing off the earth They built a town right here And when the dust had all declared They called it level Look at the lyrics of that song. Um, James is not trying to cast the widest net possible. He's writing about a, a specific place with a specific voice, and that kind of music is the kind of music that is you're invited to find. Whereas if you're writing, if you want to take that idea and write it for a more commercial sense, you have to be far less specific in in your lyrical choices. You have to. You have to open up the idea to make it as um, relatable to the largest number of people as you possibly can. That's the whole point of writing um, popular music. You know, that's pop music. And even in country music, that's what you're trying to do. Mm -hmm. Or you make the decision to say, no, this is the story. This is how I see it. This is how I want to tell it. And hopefully people like my narrative voice. I'm not going to try and manipulate it to reach the widest number of people. I'm going to tell you a story from my point of view and this is how I see it and this is what I think about it and I think that's the big difference in the two there you're invited to come listen to the great songwriters uh, of the you know in Texas or Americana or whatever whereas the great songwriters in Nashville are writing something that they hope 
strikes a chord with the widest audience possible. So it, you are a deeply personal songwriter, and we'll get into to all of that in a minute, but let's pivot to this opportunity that you have uh, with Nashville and this development deal. Um, how do you reconcile that with the, the, the writer that you are? Um, I don't think I have to. I think um, I think I have been given opportunities uh, to write in a more commercial sense because of the writer that I've kind of developed telling my own stories in my own way. And um, I have found that lyricists are in higher demand in country music because it's probably the hardest part of the music to master. And so if you've been, you know, grinding away for a decade, like I had been before I signed my first publishing deal in Nashville, uh, I really worked hard at trying to be a literate and a descriptive writer. And then my opportunities are now to get in rooms with artists that are, are signed to major labels that are on the mainstream and figure out a way to meld how they see the world with how I write and hopefully write something that they can sing in an authentic way going forward. And it's really been, um, it's been a great challenge. I've really enjoyed it. And it's definitely opened up my writing stylistically um, far more than I ever would have on my own because Previously, on my own, I'm just writing for me. And if it's not something that I could sing or would want to sing about, then there was no point in me writing it. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, you get into a room with another artist and they talk about something that's going on in their life or an idea that they have, and then it's my job to take that and write it for them or with them um, so the song becomes something that hopefully they can sing. And that has given me, in a creative sense, uh, a, a ton of joy being writing songs from a voice that I would never have written from for myself. And so I've definitely been expanding my, my writing approaches and the topics that I would write about um, since I've been making regular trips to Nashville. And I absolutely love it. It's all, I mean, any artist in, in whether it's visual media, whether it's music always wants to explore new realms of possibility for their art and um this has given me just that opportunity and and i really it's a really great intellectual challenge and um it's a really fun way to expand um as a writer i've learned more in the last five years from my co-writers in nashville than i ever learned writing mostly by myself uh, on my own it's been a trip and i have totally loved it you can hear the excitement in your voice well, it's it's uh it's the best job, man. I, I feel so lucky that I have that job. And um I mean you you you're a creative guy. You know when you're in the room with other creative people that it's it's almost a contagious um enthusiasm about it. And and I love, I thrive off of that. I think it was uh, one I think it might have been Shane McAnally or Josh Osborne who was talking about that and when you get a couple of writers together um, another writer appears in the room who isn't actually there, and, that, and, and, yeah. and that's where the song kind of comes from. It's yeah, it's totally true. It's like uh, you know one of those cartoons I watched as a kid when all of the superheroes combine forces into some other <laughs> you know crime fighting superhero. It's like that. You, you put a couple people in a room who all have really defined strengths, and you're really onto something when you've got somebody whose strength is, say, melody, mm -hmm. someone whose strength is production, someone whose strength is, is um, 
lyric writing. And you put that combination of people together, and it's a brand new thing. Everyone's strength, everyone has room to uh, put their strengths um, out there to contribute to the group. And, man, you're right. It, it, it becomes a, a, a totally unique um, voice that you only get when those particular people are together and are creating. Um, I think there are songwriters, though, singer-songwriters, um, who maybe uh, would look at what you're doing as um, not selling out. But you know what I mean? Um, yeah. You're going, you're, but you're, you're chasing a little more commercialism, and there are some people who would— you know, maybe roll their eyes at that. To me, that is a really limiting way to be. I mean, it's fine if you want to be that way, but I feel like, and and just about every songwriter I've talked to, it talks about you've got to be open-minded. You have got to be open to new ideas all the time. You cannot shut yourself down, wall yourself off, or you you will end up dying creatively. It's That's 100% true. And... um I'm fine if somebody thinks that that's what I'm doing um, because I'm still making my own records. I'm still playing over 150 shows a year and I'm still playing the songs that are the truest to me. Um, But if, if they would be presented with the same opportunity and maybe they have a family, maybe their kids are going to go to college one day um, and they can be excited about writing on a commercial level uh, I think they'd be doing themselves a disservice if they were to turn away from it because I don't know um, I don't know what anybody else's uh, metric for that might be. But to me, when I strip it all away and I read the lyrics on the page, if it's something that I'm proud of, that is the only guideline I have for what I'm doing. I'm never I, by by nature. I'm never going to compromise my voice to go after something. Uh, in a way that wouldn't make me proud to mm-hmm. say, yes, I wrote that song. So That's right. Um, you, you bring your integrity to the project. The that's project, right. It doesn't take your integrity away. No, that's right. And, and if somebody wants to go in a direction that isn't suited for me, I have no problem saying, man, that's cool, but I'm not the, the guy for you. If that's what, what the angle that we're going for, I'm not your guy. And that's great because... If I were to try and chase that, we'd end up wasting six or seven hours, and I'm not the person to write that kind of song. And so you have to be um, you have to be judicious about uh, the um, the writing connections that you make, uh, and you have to understand that um, you're not suited for everything. You have to find the things that you are good at and try to find those right combinations to take advantage of it. You said in an interview that being a musician is a self-centered thing. Do you still feel that way? Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, all of it starts with you. I mean, if, if I'm writing a song by myself, it's all coming from me. Um, it's, it's, it's a translation of how I view the world around me and where I see myself fitting into it. Um, but it takes, it, takes to- it takes so much time, Tom, like to, to tour to make records, mm-hmm. to write songs for those records, to then go perform them for people. It's such a self-centered existence. And um, I am thankful that I have my wife and friends around me and my children that definitely do not care that I might get on stage and play songs or I'm a songwriter. That's not impressive to them because they've been around me for a <laughs> long time. And that's the, those are the type of people you need around you to make sure that the highs aren't 
so high and the lows aren't so low. They kind of keep you centered. And, uh, um, and they're, you know, they, they know that if I was stranded on a desert Island, I would still be writing songs. Even if I never had the hope that I would perform them for anyone, I'd still write them because it's what I love to do. And it's a big part of who I am. And, um, and just, you know, being a, being a musician or being an artist in its nature is, is a self-centered thing to do. Um, you just have to be careful to make sure you have people around you that will, can keep you level and keep you grounded. If your music is any indication, you do a lot of driving. I hope you have AAA. <laughs> I do have AAA. <laughs> uh, I, I, cause, because I do a lot of driving. That's, that is 100% the truth. When I listen to your music, uh, I feel like I'm on a road trip. So many of your songs deal with places and traveling and wandering and discovering. That's, I mean... That's the magic of being a person, of being a human being in society, is getting out of your town and going to see how they do things the next town over, or getting out of your country and going to see how they make food in another country and meeting the people and getting to know um, people as you travel. I don't think there's a better education you can get than traveling, than getting out of your comfort zone and immersing yourself in another culture or another town or another state or whatever it is. I've learned so much um, just by doing that. And um, I apply that to my songs in the hopes that I can shed new light or a new idea, uh, give light to a new idea to somebody who might be listening to it, but also in the hopes that it encourages somebody to go see that place that I'm talking about, whether it's Venice or whether it's Big Bend National Park in Texas. Mm-hmm. Go see it, because uh, if you like this song, you know, I was inspired to do what I do by going to this place. So maybe if you go to that place yourself, you'll be inspired to do something that you do, and you'll take a little bit of everywhere you travel back with you. And that's that's how you learn about how you fit into the world. You That's how... That's how um, that's how you go from, but you know, you, I grew up in a small town, and I knew everything inside and out about that town. And then I started traveling, and that's when you realize, man, the world doesn't begin and end at the city limit sign. It's out there, and people who might look different than you or sound different from you um, are still people, and you can learn and love and, and experience. And that's my favorite part. All, uh, so many of my songs are inspired by me getting out of where I am from and finding out what people who are from somewhere else do, what their life is like, and then doing my best to give that an authentic voice. I, love, I just love travel. I love getting out of my comfort zone and learning something new every day. Man, you sound like a dusty Rick Steves. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, um, I brought him up in conversation just yesterday. That guy has the best job in the world. I love his shows. They're just they're me so too. fun to watch. One of the songs, one of the road songs that you wrote just absolutely hit me between the eyes in terms of being able to relate to it. And it's AM radio. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it reminds me of an era gone by, and, and it's, it's 
you know, there's still AM radio, but it's not like it used to. I just love the imagery in the song because when I was a kid going to school and going back and forth between where I was going to school and home and stuff, I'd listen to the radio at night, and the only thing you could get were AM stations, and this was back when I still played music. And you might pull in a station from Denver for about 10 miles, and then it would start doing that picket fencing thing, and you'd be right in the middle of a good song, and so it would start, you know, fading in and out. And you capture kind of that moment in the car at night driving so perfectly in that song. Man, I appreciate that. I miss, you know, when I first started touring, and if I would drive home late night after the gig, a couple-hour drive or whatever, you could get classic country, or you could get the weirdo alien stuff, you know, (laughs) coast-to-coast AM, right? And you could find one of those stations and you could listen to it at night the whole way if it was one of those 50,000-watt blasters. And you could listen to it the whole way. And, I mean, I even remember as a little kid, like, having a little transistor radio in my bed, and I would listen to the Phillies game. And then when the Phillies were over, I could, you know, gently adjust the dial, and maybe you'd get Pittsburgh, or maybe you'd get Chicago. Mm-hmm. And just, like, that was like time. That was like traveling to me. Like, yeah. how exotic. I'm listening to a Cubs baseball game. In Hanover, Pennsylvania. You know, how exotic is that? I got a high cup of coffee Warming up my hands I keep a beat on the hill With my wind Jay plays the gambler after rambling man driving to Winslow, Arizona. The middle of the night, I got a map case of me on the passenger side. I've been on the road since nine o'clock. So sometimes I'm fifty thousand watts from Dallas, and I'm forty-seven miles from home. I say a prayer to see me from static. I, I really love, and it's just harder to find now because uh, it's, so everything's a little more political um, on the AM dial than it used to be. Um, and a lot of stuff is syndicated. And it's the same show yeah. on different stations and so forth. I, 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 I do lament um, the, the great losses that we have had in radio uh, as far as local programming goes. Everything is, is far more syndicated than it was, and... I feel like you could go to Casper, Wyoming and turn on an FM or AM dial and get to know that town through what the DJ was playing. And now so many of them are playlists that, you know, are formatted far away from whatever the tower is that might be broadcasting it. And it's kind of a shame. Agreed. Yeah, it's 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 a different kind of franchisement. Um, Yep. Now, you write, as we talked about, a lot of road and traveling songs, but you also write some really, really almost 
like awkwardly personal songs. Um, yeah. Like the "Sleeping Alone" is uh-huh. uh, is an amazing song, and I want to read the uh, the opening line to it. A Best Western in West Texas left a letter in the New Testament. If I could find forgiveness, that's the one you suggest I try. Mm-hmm. And I, first of all, my first thought was, did is this true to life? Well, you know, I um, I, wrote, I started writing that song at a, in a motel in Clovis, New Mexico. There had been an ice storm, and they had closed the highway. So I was out of luck getting to Lubbock. It wasn't, wasn't going to happen. So I got one of the last motel rooms in town. It was a crummy motel. And um, the TV didn't work, and I was kind of going stir-crazy. And the Gideon's Bible was in, in the, um, the nightstand, and I pulled it out, and I opened it, and a picture fell out of it. Mm. And I just thought, oh, my gosh. Like, wow. you know, and then on the back of the picture, I flipped it over, and it said, I'm sorry, was all it said on the picture. And I was like, I have no idea who left this here, what it meant, but I started formulating this idea. Like, okay, well, if I had done that, what, what would my reasoning be? And then I, I started writing the song, and I ended up taking it um, – to Boston, Massachusetts, and I finished it with my friend Laurie McKenna. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I've thankfully never um, been in a, a heartbreaking situation like the character in that song, but I, I saw that picture and I saw the words on the back of it and it was tucked into a Bible and I just tried to figure out why I, if, if I had placed that picture there with that written on the back, what would have happened for me to have done that? And that's that's how the song started coming together. God, that's the kind of story I love doing this podcast. <laughs> the best Western in West Texas Left a letter in the New Testament But if I could find forgiveness So one did you suggest that I try I can't be specific I name the chapter where I if I'm anything, I'm a cynic And hopefully the man upstairs will mind Choking down this whiskey to let them burn my throat. There's no one you won't ever read a single word I wrote. And sleeping alone. thing about songwriting is like uh, the songwriter writes solely about themselves for like the first three years and then three years in you are so sick and tired of just writing about yourself that you either quit or you just start eavesdropping or looking at the world around you for inspiration and that's when a songwriter starts finding things like that and saying okay why would I have done that what would be happening in my life if that if that was the case and so um, 
it's a natural progression of, of songwriting. You know, you get, you get you out of your system and then now it's time to see if that songwriter is somebody that can make sense of the world around them without having to look within first. And so that's just one of those examples of how that works. One of the things that we were talking about earlier with uh, the Americana genre and, and folk music and, and, and writers like James McMurtry uh, or, or Robert Earl Keane is that they're able to um, really paint a picture with their words. That's a cliche, but uh, take a moment and capture it musically. Um, and I'm thinking specifically of, uh, of your song, Rose of Jericho. It is a beautiful snapshot of a relationship. At least this is the way I'm interpreting it. Of a, mm-hmm. of a relationship that's grown, like, weary, maybe, or the, yeah. the guy is maybe weary of it, and she's trying to breathe light. Anyway, it's just, the, the again, the, the opening line where he's just sitting at the kitchen table and he's smoking a, you know, his afternoon cigarette mm-hmm. and his legs are crossed. Man, I'm in that room. I can see everything that's, that's going on in there. Yeah, it's that's the truth. That's, that is what the song is about. It's kind of this this little tale of hope that says, yes, relationships can get weary, but you have to remember, like it, you know, I've been married for 16 years. It is both the greatest and the hardest thing I have ever done with my life. And I think it's really easy when things get hard for people to stop putting work into their relationship. And, um, a rose of Jericho, uh, it, um, is a plant. It's a, a resurrection plant. And um, it's, it, to give you an idea of what it looks like, it's kind of, it, when it's dry, it's brown. It's about the size of your fist if it's balled up with some roots at the bottom. And um, they protect themselves when there's no water by turning brown and closing up. But when it rains in the desert, when the monsoon season comes, they put their roots down somewhere where it's moist. And they suck up that moisture and they open up and they turn green. And it's like this symbiotic thing where they need the rain in order to find a place to live and to open up and to be themselves. Um, and and that, 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 that completely explains the line, where does love really go? It's somewhere stuck deep inside, but it's too proud <laughs> to die. That's it. That's exactly where that comes from. And uh, the last line of the song, you can't always count on rain to water what you need to grow. Being mindful of the fact that We need to take care of each other. You have to be selfless in a relationship from time to time because that's that's what we need. We can't necessarily always water ourselves, for lack of a better word. We need someone else to be mindful and to give us that love that we crave in return. You have to be mindful of it. You can't give up. That's that's kind of at the heart of that song. He sits still, legs crossed at the kitchen table, only lost in his gin and tonic and the Afternoon cigarettes She's mastering the way she dances In between sideways glances Words that become vivid colors She let them slip off of her lips Generations handed down Paint on times they live in a modern version of his father now, wasting all the chances life will give her. In a way, she's done one better. Coats I made for winter weather. Neighbor kids playing in the street. Sun creeps down behind the backyard trees. 
There's a cross on the side of the road Reflecting itself in a car window Where does love really go? Maybe no one knows, no one knows Somewhere stuck inside, it's too proud to Uh, a couple other songs I want to touch on, it, it just if, if no other reason, just to introduce people to uh, your music and your, your songwriting. Uh, 24 Hours in New York City, is just, that's another one where it's a little, it, it's a movie uh, put to, put to yeah. music. And it, yeah. it, is that from real life? You know, it is. So I wrote that song with my friend Sean McConnell, who's a brilliant songwriter. Um, I grew up about two and a half hours from New York City. He grew up in Boston, and we were talking one day before a write, and he had brought up New York, and he said, when was the first time you went to New York City without a chaperone, like without your parents or whatever? And um, I lied to my parents when I was 16 and told them that me and my buddies were going to go fishing the next day and took this beautiful new girl who had moved to our little town who told me at a party that now that she lived on the East Coast, all she'd ever wanted to do was see Manhattan at night. And at 16, I was not very used to beautiful girls talking to me for any reason whatsoever. <laughs> and I sure wasn't going to stop her from talking to me. And I had just gotten my driver's license. And there was a 1987 Chevrolet celebrity with a fake blue convertible top parked Woo! right in front of my buddy's house. And I told her, I'll take you right now if you want to go. And she called her parents. And said, all right, let's go. And away we went. And um, so that song is kind of a combination of Sean's story, which is very similar to mine the first time he went. And so I released the song on a record that came out in 2017. And the second show I played was at a theater in Baltimore. And my parents came and sat in the front row. And I told the story of the song. And my mom's mouth was... The jaw was on the floor. Because see, she she was still thinking after all these years that you'd gone fishing? Exactly right. <laughs> I was a tenor in the high school choir. She was kind of our homecoming queen. But I had a car and she had a credit card for gasoline. She got wasted at a basement party. Started talking about all of her dreams I flapped my arms like a chicken And I got her to laugh at me Now she's sleeping in the passenger seat Skyline rising in front of me 24 hours in New York City Grab that apple right off of the tree Pull into Grand Central Station and be who we want to be. Fresh off the boat from a landlocked ocean. Lit a smoke in the land of the free. Held it up in the air like the Statue of Liberty. We've got 24 hours in New York City.
saxophone and subway station. Couple bucks in the Yankees cap. And uh, another song that I guess maybe is your signature song, Stars in California. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that's kind of a road trippy song. You do a lot of driving at night, by the way. I, I do. I do. Um, and that's a wonderful song, but I love the story that goes with the shooting of the video for the song. Can you relate that? Yeah. Um, we, uh, we, well, a friend of mine is a, uh, a great uh, director, and he, uh, he called me and he said, I want to make a music video for this song. Um, and we, we're going to have to do it backwards because um, I've got to be in Las Vegas for a bachelor party. Um, but what do you say we go from Las Vegas back to Texas and film the whole way? And so I flew out there and we started filming. And so the first shots we did, which ended up being kind of some of the last shots in the video, were at the Hoover Dam and then worked our way backwards. Um, and I kind of location scouted the whole thing. And, um, and uh, we took a crew of a couple of guys and we, uh, we, we, uh, Filmed it. We were our own film crew, and we filmed it the whole way, um, all the way back to Texas, and did it over, I think, four or five days. And didn't you, weren't you going to some national parks, and you didn't have the proper permitting? Indeed. So um, <laughs> we reached out to the, Grand, the folks at the Grand Canyon, and we needed several thousand dollars uh, for a permit to shoot for commercial purposes. But they also have hotels uh, within the park boundaries, and like any good government workers, they don't really check in till about 9 a.m. <laughs> so uh, we just got a hotel room in the park and then got up real early and hopped the uh, – don't do this at home, kids – hopped the, uh, the railing and went out there, and we're standing right on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and we, we got everything that we needed right as soon as park rangers started showing up. We were just like, hey, everybody. Pack their stuff up, hit the road. See, you're saying don't do this to, at home, kids, and I'm thinking, God dang it, that's so resourceful. Be resourceful. Be resourceful <laughs> well, like Drew. Definitely, definitely do that. When, when we were going over the footage, um, the final cut of the uh, the music video, like I was standing right on the edge of the Grand Canyon, and like if I, I had to be real careful because if I looked kind of down, I could feel my knees get real, like would get wobbly. And when we were going through the final cut, the director said, you know, we really should have had a safety wire on you. And I was like, oh my gosh, thanks for, thanks for telling me now. I went down to Beaumont, ballroom angels fly. Something in the air down there makes me afraid to die. So I looked across the channel, I couldn't take you without you. Passing through the midnight With a dog on my ears Trying to beat the morning Lost behind the wheel Maybe after sunrise Wait another day I'd be okay I would be They've got stars in California Walking down the streets Dancing on the boulevard In their golden satin sheets 
Basking on the corner For change For tips And for me That, that to me sums up you as a writer, as an artist, is good carpentry because you are, and 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 those uh, who, who write like you do and sing like you do, um, you're like carpenters with words. You're craftspeople. That's I think that's accurate. Um, and thank you for saying that. Uh, I I mean, you remember seeing pictures of Led Zeppelin standing in front of their jumbo jet with the Led Zeppelin thing on the side? Yeah. That era of music is gone. Like, no one's getting a, their own jumbo jet anymore. The money isn't there anymore. And I very much look at um, the wages that a troubadour or a songwriter can earn if you can make a salary or the amount of money that's commensurate with maybe the finest cabinet maker in your city or your state or, you know, a, a really great trim carpenter. That's making it. You know, every once in a while people say, man, you keep doing it. You're going to make it. And I always think, I have made it. I have a roof over my family's heads. And my wife's a teacher. You know, she, we're, 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 we're equals there. Um, but I'm able to put food on the table with songs. And I have no, um, I have no, I harbor no um, misgivings about how much a songwriter is going to make. We're crafts people. And if you can make the amount of money that a crafts person would make, you're making it. That's that's the expectation. That's the goal. And um, I actually wrote that song to get out of finishing a home improvement project that I realized I was really terrible at doing. <laughs> and so uh, I, had, I had just put down a new Saltillo tile floor in my kitchen. And then the last thing to go was the quarter round molding at the, where the wall meets the floor. And I was feeling real cocky because I had done the project I had surprised myself at how well I had done it because I'm not the handiest person in the universe. So I me- measured out, you know, the length that I needed, and I made all the cuts, uh, 45 degree angles, and I went to put it to install it, and I realized I didn't have a corner in my house that was of 90 degrees. And I thought, Mike, what? How, how is my house standing? And then I talked to friends, and they're like, yeah, dude, that's every corner in every house is like that. So I was having a lot of trouble getting them to fit together. So finally I just said, man, forget this. I'm going to do something that I'm good at. And I sat at the kitchen table and I wrote that song. And my wife came home from teaching and she saw all the, the moldings still on the, in the middle of the floor. And she goes, what, what are you doing? And I said, honey, listen to this. And we played play the song. And she said, okay, that's good, but we really need to finish. I said, I know, I'm sorry. I'll finish it right now. <laughs> Build this floor. My two Born by moon over a weekend And I trim the water With what I send it down The wood left over In a quarter round The shoes you wore You walked across the floor For the first time Man, I wish we had more time. This it went by so fast. Um, Man, Tom, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. 
Well, I appreciate your perspective. Thank you. And I, and I hope that those listening, especially people who are maybe aspiring songwriters, you know, there are different, there are different avenues that you can take. You don't have to just focus on the, on the one thing. And I think listening to Drew, bottom line is follow your heart. That's it. Thank you, That's man. That's it. Because the, the important thing is, is to, to let your artwork be an expression of yourself. And some people naturally do it in a way that's highly commercial and can really fit on the mainstream. And some people have such a unique voice uh, naturally that it's only ever going to work for them. And follow your heart and make sure you stay happy because this is a fun job. And if you're not having fun doing it, maybe it's time to look somewhere else. But keep that, keep that joy in the creation and the sharing of music. And as long as that's your center... You're going to be successful. Something built to last. Your memory, your carpentry. And that'll do it for this month's edition of Write You a Song. Thank you again to Drew Kennedy. If you like this podcast, please share it. Give it a good rating. Every little bit helps to get the word out and keep this going. And we are keeping it going. Next month, we have another fabulous songwriter, somebody who has really been into music since she was able to put records on her dad's phonograph and play them over and over and over again while other kids were outside playing. We can drink on it. I drive your train. Jesse Alexander, next time on Write You a Song. You look it in the eye, turn the sound up to find-